Imagine picking a spot in the woods or prairies, choosing your line of sight, setting up a camera, and then walking away for days or maybe weeks, hoping that you capture a remarkable natural moment. Ryan Panacey, naturalist and camera trap photographer, really understands the challenges of getting it all to work just right. The first thing that comes to mind is that there's a lot that, that can go wrong with wildlife photography. Like a memory card could fill up at that pivotal moment where the subject is about to exhibit some kind of rare behavior or maybe the lighting's off or I'm not fast enough with the camera uh, before the animal disappears into the brush or the autofocus is being confused by some branches in the way or my settings aren't quite right for the situation. Maybe I overexposed or underexposed. So really when it, when it all comes together, it's really rewarding. You know, when, when I have a subject or a composition in mind and all of those factors really fall into place, that is really the best feeling. Welcome to the ETC by the University of Minnesota Extension. I'm Nate Meyer, and I'm really excited to talk in this episode with Ryan Panacey, an award-winning nature photographer who uses camera trap technologies to build our appreciation and understanding of wildlife. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Nate. How's it going? Perfect. So you are a part of a growing group of naturalists and researchers who are using camera traps to build our understanding and appreciation for wildlife. Can you describe how you think this technology and the images it helps us capture are helpful in exploring and conserving our environment? I think there's so much potential there. This technology, the, the remotely triggered cameras, uh, they're increasingly helpful to not only the scientific community, but also as an invaluable teaching tool, you know, for the public and landowners, um, natural resource managers. I first started using camera traps or trail camera game cameras. I used them in educational programs while I was a naturalist at Wolf Ridge Environmental Learning Center. I would always bring a couple of these over-the-counter cameras with me whenever I took a class out and we were focusing on an animal signs uh, hike. Whenever the students found something interesting, um, say, for example, they found a porcupine tent den at the base of a tree, we would practice inquiry. On the podcast, you've mentioned this I wonder moment, you know, in previous episodes. And that's exactly what it is. It's such a great way to be able to connect the dots and so I'd ask those students, what questions do you have about this porcupine den? What do you wonder about? From there, they'll generate a hypothesis and questions. So they'll say, you know, when does it use its den? We want to know how often it's going to come and go out of this uh, hollowed out area of the tree. And so the cameras can help us uncover the answers to those questions. I've also had opportunities to use remote camera technology uh, beyond Wolf Ridge. I, a couple times a year, I'll, I'll do different workshops where we focus on remote camera technology and we'll explore its application in some local and international research and wildlife monitoring projects. 
uh, for example, Steve Winter is a Nat Geo, a National Geographic photographer, and he's done a lot of work photographing uh, mountain lions and shedding some light. One of his images of a collared mountain lion has the Hollywood sign in Los Angeles in the background. And that did a lot for um, cougar conservation out there and trying to solve some of the issues that they have with inbreeding and not being able to move to different areas of their habitats. Uh, another one is Morgan Heim, who did a lot her imagery with trail cameras and camera traps did a lot to um, show environmental impacts of some illegal marijuana growing operations and uh, out west and how they'd use rodenticides that had really harmful effects that were that would trickle up the food chain and decimated some Pacific Fisher populations. Another uh, local one that comes to mind is here in Minnesota, there's the Voyager Wolf Project in Voyager National Park. They've made some significant discoveries, including uh, fishing behavior documented by wolves and shedding light on uh, predation of beavers as an important food source. Tell us about how you got involved and interested with using trail cameras. The first time I ever used camera traps was back in college. I went to the University of Massachusetts Amherst. I had a wildlife populations dynamics class. We were each given one trail camera and also a mason jar that was full of, it was some sort of mixture of like fermented scent glands and ground up liver and it smelled awful. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that if you spilled some on your shirt, you're not gonna, you're just gonna throw that article of clothing away. So we each had a, a jar of the stinky stuff and we were tasked with finding a spot in the forest or on the local landscape where we thought might have the highest diversity of animals. Well, I thought I had picked a great spot. I found a little piece of forest that was kind of isolated off this busy suburban road in a bit of a valley had a little creek running through it. I set it for a week and when I went back out, you know, the smelly mason jar contents were really effective, but only at attracting all of the neighborhood dogs. So <laughs> I didn't really have uh, any wild animals, just all these dogs rolling on the log that I put the stuff on. But um, when we got back to the class, it was really cool to view everyone's setups and, and hear about why they had chosen their spot. And some people had really some cool captures on there. And we could just compare, you know, why, why was it in this location? You didn't do very well. Well, maybe it was because that little piece of forest I had chosen was completely surrounded by busy roads, but other people got uh, bobcats and skunks and raccoons, deer and fisher. And it really opened my eyes to the power of this technology. And um, about a year later, I had my first real success. I was working in an AmeriCorps position in the Berkshire Mountains, and we had some free time, and I really began doing a lot of tracking at that time. And uh, one day in the fresh snow, I tracked a, pair, a pack of coyotes and was following their tracks and found a, a deer kill that was really fresh. And, and uh, while it was a grisly scene, it was also really a good opportunity to learn something about the scavengers that were going to come back and make use of that valuable energy um, that was left behind at that deer carcass. Uh, I set my camera and, and when I saw those images a few weeks later, I had barred owls and fishers and ravens, uh, even the, those coyotes that, that maybe took the deer down came back to, to clean up and I was hooked uh, from that point on.
it was really cool. Ryan has learned a lot since his first experiences. He talked with me about capturing some of his remarkable photos. A few years ago, I had a subject in mind, which is the rough grouse, a small woodland bird. And so I was looking in the right habitat. I was looking in this mixed hardwood forest with young aspen and seeing some large downed logs around. And I could hear the grouse, the male grouse drumming. I really wanted to capture some pictures of, of that mating display. You know, I'm tracking the sound. I finally locate this log. I could see a pile of scat cascading off the log, showing me exactly where it had spent a considerable amount of time. And, and I brought out my remotely triggered camera with a motion sensor, DSLR, wide angle lens, and some external flashes. I had to pre-focus just at that one spot on the log and the grouse was going to have to be in that exact spot if it was going to turn out. So I, I set it all up, was hoping for some good light, you know, went back a couple of weeks later and was looking at the back of the viewfinder on my camera and just saw a series that really blew me away. And, and it was the grouse, the male grouse was exactly where I had wanted him to be on the log frozen mid drum so its wings are outstretched and, and you can almost see through the feathers there and the features were perfectly in focus the light of the rising sun was blanketing the forest floor around the log and that was just such a rewarding experience and image to capture and and those images went on to be used in interpretive trail signages by a nature center in Minnesota and, and also all the way over in New York. A um, New York Natural Resource Agency used uh, uh, one of the images to teach about coarse woody debris and, and grouse habitat. So that's, uh, that's really fun when it works out like that. Often the image that I'm after in my mind's eye doesn't come to fruition. It, you got to be opportunistic and ready to take advantage of those fleeting encounters. Could be while you're driving a back road or hiking far off of a off the beaten trail. And so that's that's one of the things that I really do to increase my odds of success is to go scouting and to to know the animals that I'm trying to photograph. You know, knowing about their life history and behaviors and I put my knowledge of interpreting animal signs to the test. And so uh, it's, it's really rewarding when uh, I get my eyes on that, that image that I've had in my mind for so long and been waiting uh, maybe weeks or months to, to capture. Has your work sparked any new discoveries or helped answer environmental research or management questions? Whenever I'm out photographing wild animals, sometimes I might notice something like an ear tag on a mammal or even a band on a bird. And so I've, I've photographed moose that have sported GPS collars and, and ear tags with numbers that are actually readable on that image. And that clues me into something that those animals are part of an ongoing research or monitoring effort. And so, you know, in that case, like I would send the image of the, the ear tag to a local state or federal wildlife official with coordinates of where it was. And to them, that's valuable information. And sometimes they can even give you a little bit uh, more information to satisfy your curiosity about that animal's history. Or in the case of birds, I have photographed peregrine falcons along the shore of Lake Superior uh, in Minnesota, which are banded every year by the Midwest Peregrine Society. They'll go out and a team of climbers will ban their chicks. Whenever I get a good picture, uh, of a peregrine falcon where the band is visible, 
I'll pass that information along to Jackie Fallon of that organization who can look up the individual and uh, know where that individual is hanging out and that they're still alive and kicking. And, and that's, that's valuable information for them. My work has shed some light on some of those more secretive and rare animals. An animal I captured last July of a cougar in Lake County. And that's kind of a rare thing to document. I was able to forward that on to state wildlife officials. And also the image inspired some local publications, the Northern Wilds Magazine out of Grand Moraine, the Duluth News Tribune, both did a feature on, on mountain lions. And another thing that comes to mind is that as climate changes, we're seeing population numbers of some species rise in uh, northeastern Minnesota, where I am, um, while others might be becoming more scarce. And I have kind of noticed that since I've, I've been here about eight years and I started uh, using camera traps in 2013. And over that time, I've kind of seen more occurrences of things like badgers all the way up here in, in Finland and gray fox uh, seem like they're more abundant than maybe they have been in decades past. Also, raccoons and skunks and uh, deer seem to be moving into expanding their range more northward as well. And and yeah, some of the research projects that I've helped contributed to, you had a podcast episode about Ellen Candler with the, the awful pile monitoring. I've gotten to contribute uh, a few of my gut pile uh, data as a hunter to that project. And she's looking at the assemblage of scavenger and carnivore species making use of gut piles uh, of deer. Michael Joyce uh, is a wildlife ecologist out of the Natural Resource Research Institute, and he's got a Fisher Denbox project that I've helped put up cameras for that they hang on trees. And uh, he's also got a flying squirrel project where people can send him um, trail camera images of flying squirrels uh, because he's seeing if that if as climate warms, there might be this phenomenon where northern flying squirrels are moving out of, of their range and maybe being replaced by southern flying squirrels. So yeah, you can learn a lot uh, using this, this technology. Our listeners love to learn more about and explore their natural surroundings. So how would you recommend that they get started with camera traps if they're interested? I'd say that anyone can learn to use this technology. It's, it can be pretty straightforward. And there's a lot of resources out there. They're also increasingly affordable. And the models these days are really incredible with what they can produce compared to 15 or 20 years ago. A great place to shop and compare camera models that I'd like is called trailcampro.com, where they, for, they actually have a first-time buyer's guide up there. And I promise I'm not sponsored by them in any way, uh, but I do like to go there because they can show some of the trade-offs between these models. And they've got a very comprehensive set of tests to compare performance between game cameras. So some of the things to consider if you're going to get into it is the trigger time, recovery time, detection zone, battery life of the camera, its flash range, you know, does it have a white flash or infrared flash, which would produce either black and white or color images at night, or even like the picture quality, how many megapixels is it? What's the photo resolution? Yeah, if you're going to start experimenting, you, you really don't need a super expensive camera. I mean, they range in price from $100 to $500 or more, and you, you don't need um, anything really fancy to be able to identify species that are in your own backyard. So I'd say 
experiment with different spots. Maybe you start uh, in the area around your house, like under the bird feeder or along the alley between the garage and the house or on the edge of the woods. Maybe you've got a water feature nearby, like a pond, those types of places. Uh, and if you don't have a backyard, you can always set cameras on, on public land. You can use your county's parcel viewer, which is a GIS application searchable online where you can see ownership. And also you don't want to invite, invade people's privacy. So do your best to keep cameras well away from hiking trails and high, high human traffic areas. If you're, and if you are going to go on private property, you got to make sure to get permission from the landowner. I have a last question for you today. What is a hashtag or a brief message that you wish would really take off right now? Like millions of people are sharing it. Yeah, I, I, I use just social media a lot. I, I like putting posts on Instagram and, and uh, one that I would say is hashtag visual storytellers. And um, that's, that's what I consider myself. And I want to encourage other people to not just think about creating the image itself, but how they can use that image to tell a story or how to engage others in a conversation using that image in a way that both transfers knowledge and gets other people excited uh, about the environment and, and ways that they can help improve it. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the ETC. Huge thanks to Ryan for joining us to share the wonder and value of camera trap technology. Visit ryanpanacy.com to learn more about Ryan, view some of his photography, and learn about other opportunities. Or you can find him on Instagram and other social media. You can also visit zooniverse.org and search for nature projects to find different camera trap research studies you can participate in. This episode was recorded in 2021. Look for the ETC and subscribe on any of your favorite podcast services. Give us a thumbs up or drop a comment to let us know you value the podcast. Pass it along to others. We look forward to sharing another episode soon. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy Nature in Place.